AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hello, welcome to AT&T Threat Track for August 26, 2014. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. Today I'm joined by Stan Norlov. And uh, Stan, how are you doing? Uh, pretty good, Brian. Um, it's been an exciting uh, week last week. I uh, uh, started investigating a new API service uh, for threat intelligence. So um, uh, I always enjoy learning what other people are doing in the space and comparing it to what we're doing. So that's good. We're you know uh, developing threat intelligence and uh, improving our repertoire around threat intelligence is a big important initiative that we have going on. So we appreciate your work there. Uh, joined also here by John Hogboom and. Uh, How's it going with you, John? Good. I was off last week on vacation, so that's yeah. always good. Um, but got right back into the fire again with a lot of incident response activities the past couple of days. But right. uh, otherwise, been going good. Yeah, it's always uh, something going on when you have uh, over 100 million customers, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, online here we have Jim Clausing. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jim. And uh, how's everything going with you? Not too bad. Uh, keeping busy with the... the malware analysis stuff but yeah yeah so i'm brian rexrode and uh, happy to join you here today and uh, jim let's go right to you and i guess you know the patching process we always encourage doing it quickly but every once in a while it doesn't go exactly the way you like right yeah uh you know microsoft patch tuesday they i don't remember exactly how many bulletins they did this month but it was eight or ten or twelve or something and um and, and I mentioned two weeks ago that they were also starting to phase out part of what they were had originally been calling Windows 8.1 Update 2. Mm -hmm. Well, it looks like they ended up having to withdraw a couple of those patches. Now, they, I, I believe that they were all actually part of one bulletin. I think they were all from MS 14-045, mm -hmm. but there were four... KB numbers there uh, that they withdrew, and they're urging folks running 8.1 to actually uninstall them if you got them installed and didn't have problems. Turns out that there were a number of users had issues after they installed these updates where they got into a, a cycle of blue screening. You know, basically the system would not come all the way up, it would blue screen. Yeah, reboot, it would blue screen again. They've withdrawn the patches. They're urging folks running 8.1 to actually uninstall those until they uh, get the corrected ones out there. So, yeah, this is one instance where uh, if you were quick to install like we normally suggest, you, you might have run into trouble. It, it turns out that it was it, it didn't affect everybody you know for example I have a, a Windows 8.1 laptop personal laptop at home mm -hmm. that I've not had any trouble with but um, but it was causing enough issue that they decided to go ahead and pull those four back completely until they could right. figure out what was going on and as far as I'm aware I don't believe that they've reissued them yet uh, as of today uh, but I would expect those to be coming relatively soon. Okay. 
Now, if you run into a situation where your machine, you know, you're trying to boot it and it goes to the blue screen and starts to reboot again, what's the what's the recovery process after that? You need to boot to uh, you know recovery setup, and there's uh, Microsoft actually has a, a a good explanation of how to do that, and we'll have the URL um, here posted with the show. Um, but yeah, you you can't just you know. You know let it keep on booting or you're going to be stuck. So you need to boot to, um, you know, your recovery partition or uh, your recovery setup. And and then from there, you can uninstall the, the four um, mm -hmm. patches that have known issues. Okay. Now, you know, I guess uh, for as many times as patches are being done, being done automatically, there's, I mean, I think it's pretty transparent. I really think there's been a lot of improvement over the years. And, you know, occasionally you're going to run into cases like this. And, you know, hopefully it's uh, it's uh, relatively rare that uh, problems like this occur. But um, so I'm not going to change my, my recommendation in terms of patching early and, uh, you know, letting the automatic patching take place. Um, what do you think, Jim? Microsoft has made huge strides in in their patching process over the last you know five or ten years yeah. now I, there was a time sometime back when I would have said hold off before you apply them but they have done a, a, a great job of you know this is the first time that I recall uh, an issue this significant in in a very long time mm -hmm. and it and it only seems to affect you know the windows 8.1 users so I, I, I'm with you. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna back off on my suggestion that you leave automatic updates and apply them as soon as they come mm -hmm. for most users. I think they have not only made great strides for themselves, but I think they've also pushed the industry. That is, if you look at Linux, Linux was really following Microsoft and automatic patching capabilities, and I think it's uh, it's been a really good progress. Getting some nods here, so we're <laughs> all right. Good. So let's go to the next topic here. And uh, John, I think you were going to cover this one. And uh, I, you know, one of the things that we're paying a lot of attention to is you know, you know, malware that's able to propagate on mobile devices to any significant extent. So this is certainly one that we're paying attention to. What yeah, can you tell so, us? So you know, we talk a lot about um, malware on Android devices because mm -hmm. that's pretty much the prevalent spot where you see a lot of the mobile malware. Uh, only because the architecture is really open. Um, that being said, you know, on the iOS platform, you really don't see much. And in fact, the truth be told, there's maybe a handful, like less than less than ten, you know, samples of malware or families of malware uh, on the iOS platform. And almost all of them, as far as I'm aware, require the device to be jailbroken. So if you don't have your device jailbroken, um, you're in pretty good shape to be protected here. Uh, this is an article that came out from the guys at Virus Bulletin. It's a very interesting article because it's very detailed. If you're interested in reverse engineering iOS malware, which there isn't much, or just iOS binaries in general, it's a good kind of article on that because it kind of puts you through the paces and walks through how you would go about that, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting. It, are there any particular countries that this is targeting? You know, or, I, don't, I don't know. That, well, that was there were a couple of interesting things about this is that I don't really know that they... Uh, detailed what countries or if there are particular areas to the geographically that it was targeting. Mm -hmm. They also did not really indicate in this article how it was spread. Right. Uh, other than it was probably spread through somebody else who did not actually write the original source code. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it was another party that kind of took his source code, did some things with it, and spread it somehow. But they didn't get into a lot of detail of how that was, which would be really the interesting aspect to me because I'm not quite sure um, how you propagate it uh, across these jailbroken devices mm -hmm. unless there's some other vulnerability you're leveraging along the way, maybe mm -hmm. some drive-by thing that it can pick up that it can leverage something that's you know on the jailbroken yeah. device. So hopefully we'll have the opportunity to investigate this a little bit further, but it's certainly something that we we'll want to pay attention to and why delay in terms of sharing it with our with our viewers here, right? Right. Okay. So and I well, would say, you know, the thing we always say is with iOS, don't jailbreak your device because that's the best way to keep yourself protected. Mm -hmm. Android type devices, don't sideload things uh, from third party, you know, uh, uh, or at least trusted sources. You right, have to at least make sources, sure that right. you know where it's coming from. If it's your company's, you know, third-party app store or something, that's probably fine. But if it's, you know, some app store out in eastern Ukraine, that might not be one that you want to, you know, install applications from. Right, it's <laughs> actually where I sideload all my applications. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends. I guess it depends on your objective. If you're looking for the bad stuff and trying to understand it, perhaps you want to try to direct yourself to all the nefarious or the, you know, the, the uh, questionable sites that you can find. But absolutely. So uh, speaking of the international aspect here, <laughs> uh, let's go ahead over to Stan here. And I guess um, we, we, we are, I mentioned earlier, concerned about, you know, prolific, you know, in, infections on mobile devices. But uh, it's not just mobile devices. Uh, right. I think it's it, this is a case of just sort of like a data breach uh, scenario mm -hmm. where in South Korea there were uh, 27 million people identified as having been victims of some sort of an identity theft related to online gaming. Um, they've put out an indictment, I think, for 16 people, uh, one of whom was a 24-year-old mastermind. Mm -hmm. And he was working in concert with um, a Cracker, uh, which, which are people, I guess, who are trying to um, uh, get into your accounts by uh, brute forcing or some mm -hmm. other means, uh, trying to guess your password or something like that. Mm -hmm. So through these online gaming platforms, they were able to, I guess, log into them and scrape personal information from their accounts and one more thing they were doing is they were stealing these uh, virtual items in these different online video games. So okay. like a very powerful axe or a sword or something like that and actually taking it from the people who had you know, spent time building that skill up and selling it to other people for a price. Mm -hmm. So that's how they were monetizing it. Um, and then when that wasn't enough, they were actually also selling the personal information to fraudsters uh, for like uh, mortgage fraud and other type of spamming activity to try to get people mm -hmm. um, some kind of a legitimate service. So um, this was uh, important because they were saying that these 27 million people represent something like almost you know three quarters of South Korean population wow. uh, for for that age group. So uh, it, it's a lot of people, and it can show us that uh, some of these highly motivated um, individuals they will do anything uh, to, you know, including just brute forcing passwords, uh, to get access to these systems. So you have to always mm -hmm. be careful with uh, your password complexity, reuse of passwords, make sure you don't reuse them um, across different platforms. And, uh, you know, probably for the gaming crowd, there's probably a lot of mods you can download. And you have to be careful where you download these mods from. Right. Uh, because it could be malware in disguise, in fact, or uh, key generators. A lot of people mm -hmm. try to get games for free and download malware that kind of unlocks the game for you. But it's, it's not a very safe activity uh, 
well, first of all, you're not supporting the uh, the, the game development company. Right. But the other part of it is you could be downloading malware and you're making putting yourself at risk for something like this. Okay. So uh, I'm actually a little surprised at that proportion of the population. I, I, I understand it's a specific age group that's uh, <laughs> that they're, they're referring to, but that proportion of the, the uh, population is involved in online gaming to the extent that you'd be able to get uh, yeah, information a, about them it's, like it's that. It's a very big thing, uh, possibly. You know. Right. So, uh, so you know, clearly, even though it's gaming, we have to be paying attention to what the implications are for the activities that we're performing, how it might affect our machines, and yeah, I think it's very important as well. We've been in this age for quite mm -hmm. some time, and in general, uh, when you deal with people in the real world, not in the virtual world, you know what are the safe things to do. Um, but all this virtual stuff kind of happens so quickly, you know, mm -hmm. and it's such a big part of our life now. I don't think everybody has had a time to evaluate how they deal with things in, in, in on the internet. Mm -hmm. you know, so you have to make sure, and this, this is what we say all the time, make sure you don't reuse your passwords, like I said, and uh, use uh, very complex passwords and protect your identity online as much as you can. Mm -hmm. I, I know it can be difficult when situations like this happen where it's somewhat out of your control. Uh, but by taking some precautions, uh, you know, by changing passwords from different sites, for example, uh, may prevent you know your information from being exposed. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's interesting. There's always some sort of a motivation that's you know that I guess there's an identity theft aspect of this, but there's also that you'd mentioned the items being stolen, you know, things from the game itself and being. Uh, sold off to others, and I, I, I remember an episode of Big Bang Theory where that kind of took place as well. Right. <laughs> so, in any case, uh, so thank you for that story there, uh, Stan. And I think uh, you know that it's we again the the kind of thing that we really need to be concerned, about, at least as a as a service provider, tends to be are there prolific issues like this and uh, paying attention to those and you know learning from the experiences of other organizations or other uh, parts of the of the world help us to uh, gain the intelligence or the insights that we should be looking for to help protect our own customers and, and network. Uh, so let's take a quick look at the uh, internet weather for the last week or so here. And uh, the first item I wanted to share with you, and I think I had made a mention of, of this a, uh, in our last report, but uh, this is scan packets on port 1900 UDP, and this is the simple service discovery protocol. We're looking at 30 days worth of data here and the significance, I'm actually showing two sets of data. One, I'm showing the basically the probes or flows associated with scanning activity, and that's in the blue line. And then we're also looking at, uh, in the red line, we're looking at the number of packets associated with each of those, with those probes. And it is typically the case that when you actually have probing activity, that you're going to see basically one packet per probe. And you can see that there's a very close alignment looking back in time here uh, between the number of probes and the number of packets that are associated with this. And the significance here is the divergence that we're seeing in terms of a growth, significant growth in the number of packets relative to the number of actual flows. And what that indicates is perhaps, and uh, in looking at the data it seems to suggest, that uh, this is port 1900 being used in uh, reflection attacks and what we're actually seeing is the request side of this. So the source of the scanning activity in this case is actually a target or a victim of an attack. The addresses are spoofed. It didn't actually come from that address. It came from the attacker source and it's being sent to servers that are on the network and then the results are being sent actually in a different direction toward that victim. So uh, we're seeing basically an effect of the spoofing here. And, we're, and the uh, next graph I wanted to show here actually is the, uh, let me 
pull the next graph, is actually the uh, change in byte activity, or actually the uh, byte activity associated with port 1900 UDP. This is looking at 60 days of activity, but you're not seeing in this particular graph that upward trend that we were referring to in the previous one, uh, and a growth in the uh, packet activity. Uh, that corresponds to bytes. So that suggests to me that we're not really seeing the uh, attack itself, we're seeing just the request side of the activity. Uh, but nevertheless, we certainly do see in the 60-day graph that uh, that uh, port 90, 1900 UDP certainly is being used in reflection attacks. And uh, it's not huge, but it certainly in, uh, in the uh, high megabits per second range perhaps 50, 60 megabits per second in a lot of these tacks, which certainly would affect your, your typical uh, internet subscriber. Next item here is uh, also sort of a related topic, is scan packets on zero UDP. And this is based on flow analysis. So generally speaking, fragmented packets show up as a port zero. And uh, so the significance of this is I wanted to really just share with you that we tend to talk about, take that port 1900, for example, and you know, we talk about uh, port 53 DNS being used in uh, reflection attacks. We tend to talk about the port itself, but I, I tend to overlook or, or basically uh, skip over the fact that a lot of this response traffic is actually much larger, larger than I'm showing here uh, because the fragmented packet portion of it is left out of that analysis. So I wanted to kind of point this out that there is, uh, in fact, a lot of fragmented activity. We're just showing one particular aspect here, and this is actually uh, suggestive of what I would describe as, uh, because we're really showing scanning activity, it suggests that what's happening is the uh, reflection attack activity is actually hitting a number of target addresses at the same time. Uh, and uh, we have seen other characteristics of that in some denial of service attack activity lately as well. So what I mean by this is uh, they're not just targeting one address, they're targeting you know, a dozen addresses or maybe a hundred addresses at a time. So it's important that you have a mitigation strategy that'll be able to handle uh, a number of addresses. Even, for example, if it's a website, you don't want to just direct the website address. You may want to direct the entire address block to a mitigation platform so that you can scrub the, that attack traffic out. So those are characteristics you might want to look for in your uh, DDoS mitigation provider and make sure that they have those capabilities for you. Uh, next item here is uh, scan packets on port 7000 UDP. And well, my explanation here is roughly blank. Uh, we are having a little discussion here and have been investigating this a little bit. You can see that there was actually some early activity starting to brew back in the middle of August. And then as of about the, uh, well, about the 19th or the 20th, we started to see some growth in the uh, scan packets on port 7000 UDP. It looks like it might be some sort of a P2P type activity, but uh, we're gonna have to keep an eye on this and see if it develops. Um, it may in fact be innocuous, but I just wanted to at least uh, share that with you so that you'd be aware of it and then kind of pay attention to it on your network as well. Uh, next item here is our top 10 most probed ports at the top of the list. There aren't really any surprises, I would say, on this uh, list here. Port 22 TCP, that's SSH, brute force, password guessing uh, generally is the case, or at least going after default passwords. 
Same thing with port 23, that's Telnet, and then followed by uh, port 53 UDP. I think a portion of this is actually associated with reflection attacks, same kind of characteristics we talked about when we were talking about the uh, 1900 UDP. Followed by 1433 TCP, Microsoft SQL database, that's again password guessing. And then uh, we have some ICMP activity, and then followed by 445 TCP, that's uh, still a lot of config or activity on the, uh, on the network. And then 3389, that's remote desktop protocol, again, password guessing attack activity. Then we also show uh, actually some growth. This one stepped up a little bit. Activity on zero ICMP. This is uh, basically destination unreachable, if I remember correctly. And um, so I, I suspect this is associated with basically some backscatter association with some uh, from denial of service attack activity. And then followed by 443 TCP and 80 TCP that is uh, looking for websites, uh, possibly uh, looking for administrative interfaces or uh, being able to break into those uh, websites. There's also a notion of um, what they call uh, the dark web, uh, ones that haven't uh, provided any capability for the uh, your typical search engines to find those web servers. And so uh, if somebody were to try to uh, try to find those web servers, they would have to literally probe by address as opposed to uh, spidering out and uh, they haven't been seeded into the search engines. Next item here is uh, top 10 most sources doing the probing. Far and above is port 23 TCP, and this is associated with basically uh, devices that have been infected and are scanning around and looking for uh, other devices that they can infect with malware, that internet of insecure things that I uh, commonly refer to. Followed by port 443 TCP, I think this is still that activity that we were seeing from uh, Argentina. And then uh, 445, port 80 TCP, 8080 TCP, 8081, 3128, and then 27015. So uh, I, I always forget, 3128, John, help me. Squid proxy. <laughs> the squid proxy. So uh, the search of the proxy, and the, I guess the 8081 would probably be, 8080 and 8081 are probably most likely the same sort of thing as well, right? Uh, possibly, although yep. there's Tomcat hangs out on right. 8080, and I know we've seen a lot of scanning for Tomcat. Scanning for you know, Tomcat, and then it's also a, a password guessing password guessing Tomcat activity. To see right. if they're using, you know, a weak password there administratively. Absolutely. Okay, uh, next item here, and the and the last in the program, the daily reconnaissance index. This is a, the basically a measurement of the number of probes as well as the number of sources that are performing that probing over the last year. There isn't anything really what I would describe as um, amazing about this. Uh, there was a period between May and June where we saw a, a heightened level of activity, uh, scanning activity on the network. Uh, we were kind of peaked out, uh, I would say, about two weeks ago. This is all relative measurement, but a measurement of around 52 or so, and uh, it seems to be on the decline, which is a uh, generally a good thing in this case. So we, we look at the uh, daily reconnaissance index in the inverse of what we look at in the S&P index, which is uh, actually uh, has uh, so if you could record invest recently. in the daily reconnaissance index <laughs> last year, you'd be wealthy today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Your money. The, uh, the daily reconnaissance <laughs> index has been growing, but it, unfortunately, it's a it's a negative characteristic. So that's our show for today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at threattrack at list.att. Pardon me, att.com. Uh, to get notice of new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter. Threat Track, and uh, you can uh, get the Threat Track video. It's available on the ATT Tech channel. That's att.com/threattrack, as well as on YouTube. Just search for the uh, ATT Tech channel or Threat Track program. Uh, there's also an audio-only version on iTunes.
I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Jim, for joining us online. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, John. And uh, of course, thank you, uh, the online audience. I'm Brian Rexrode, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, until then, keep your network safe. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.